Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. This is your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. I want to give you guys a little bit of context about what we're trying to do with this podcast. One of the interesting things about being in medical practice right now is I meet people who do all sorts of interesting things. And when we talk about the space, part of the way that we want to bridge it is by getting an understanding of all different aspects of what human beings aspire to, are capable of, will attempt things that make people nervous, things that make people afraid, and how do we connect in a way that we can understand what other people want and need and then help them to meet it, help them to get there. Um, and of course, this happens in the hospital, it happens in the doctor's office, but it happens in life outside of medicine as well. And a really nice example of that is brought to light by my two guests. So I'm joined today on my podcast by two friends of mine, Michelle West and Josh Talley. They're a husband and wife super athlete combo, and we are going to be on a team together at an event called the Badwater 135. So, Michelle, I want to start with you. First of all, welcome to both of you to explore the space. Hi. So, Michelle, I want to start with you a little bit. What is the Badwater 135? I don't know that many of our listeners are going to understand, are going to even know that name. So just give us an introduction into what the Badwater 135 is. Sure. So Badwater 135 is a 135-mile race that runs um, every year around the same time in July, the end of July, which is typically the hottest time for Death Valley. It's a race that starts in Badwater, which is 17 miles away from Furnace Creek in Death Valley, and the race goes 135 miles all the way uh, up to the Whitney Portal, which is about, I think, 8,000 feet, I think. And um, it's just a long, hot, sufferfest endurance <laughs> contest. And for those who don't know, if the name Death Valley doesn't kind of set the stage, it's the hottest part of California. It is a desert. Um, it is a grueling place to start a race. And so it's 135 miles. It's contiguous, right? We don't, the runners won't stop. That's right. So, uh, Josh, let me ask you why on earth? Because this is when I tell people about this race, this is their immediate response. Why on earth would anybody want to try something like this? Um, I don't know that I've quite figured that out yet. <laughs> Good um, answer. But the one thing I will say is that Michelle didn't mention that Badwater is the lowest point in the continental United States. And it's uh, Furnace Creek is also the place where they have the highest recorded temperature on Earth. Uh, I think it was 134 degrees and it stood for 100 years. So, I mean, the, the temperatures are extreme. And I think there's a little alert at doing a run or an ultra endurance event in those conditions. But I, I don't know. I think that it's just pushing yourself and trying something new and trying to transcend boundaries that whether real or imagined. That's really interesting. And I'll, and I'll ask you guys the progression. This, I, my role in this is we became friends a couple of years ago when a colleague of mine, 
did the bad water and we were on his crew. So obviously everyone has to have a support team. They can't run this by themselves. They have to have someone, they have to have a vehicle that's got all of their equipment, that's got food and ice and drinks and nutrition and first aid. And then you have a crew, you have someone who's driving the van, you have someone who's pacing the runner, you have people who are shuttling stuff back and forth. You have people who are getting some rest. Um, cause the event's going to take anywhere from 35, what, 30 to 40 hours, probably something like that. As much as 48 hours. We have 48 hours to complete it. Although right. the race director suggests strongly that we finish by 42 hours, okay. which is <laughs> a lot. So thanks have. for that. Yeah. 42 hours of no sleep and extreme temperature. Good. Love it. Um, no, but there's a, so we're on the, I'm, I'm part of the crew. And so we'll all be out there together. And we became friends a couple of years ago. And, you know, I've always been fascinated with this, like you said, Josh, this idea of this allure of, the the sharp edge of what a human being can accomplish. You know, I, I, we've all seen human beings do amazing things in our personal lives. We've seen it on TV. You know, I, I see human beings accomplish incredible things in the hospital when they're trying to overcome an acute illness or, you know, deal with a tragedy. This is a different part of that spectrum. This is pushing the human body physiologically in a way that when you talk about it with people, they it's hard for them to grasp. So when people look at you with that incredulous look of, why would you guys want to do this? And aren't you going to get hurt? And how can you survive this? What, what, what's the answer? I would say the answer is that we're not aware of how much we're capable of so much huh. of the time. I mean, I think that I've always been fascinated by the idea that you can start off at something, anything, and be so poor at it. And yet, with a little bit of discipline or focus or just hard work, you can really become good at almost anything. So, Michelle, give us a sense then of how you get to be in the bad water, because obviously this is not for the beginner. It's not for a dilettante. It's not for someone who just wants to try it. They're not allowed to enter the race, right? There's very strict criteria, but how do you get yourself even to the part, to the point where you can consider doing this thing? How does that progression work? When you first say, you don't just wake up one day and say, I want to go run 135 miles in the desert. What's the progression that makes you say, wow, you know, I'm mentally and physically interested in attempting this challenge? Well, I think it starts out, I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but for me, it starts out with, you know, you, you know, you want to run a 10K, then you want to run a marathon, then you run 20 marathons, then you want to do a 50 miler, then, you know, you want to do a hundred miler. And once you get to that point, um, I know that to qualify for Badwater, you have to run a couple of hundred milers and you have to, you know, finish them. And, you know, for the bad water, you know, I'm not really sure what, what makes you think you can even attempt it or do it. I mean, you've, you've seen for yourself crewing. It's, it's kind of crazy. It's ridiculous. It's hot. It's difficult. So I'm not exactly sure why, like what the progression is other than like, you just keep going and you want to see what more you can do. So if you go 50 miles, you want to go 100. If you go 100, then you want to go 135. And it is it is kind of cool that you just keep progressing and seeing what more you can accomplish. And so as, it, as you've pushed yeah. your body a little bit more and more, so you've said, okay, now I'm, I've done a marathon, I want to do 50. I've done 50, I want to do 100. Okay, I've done 50, now I want to do 50, but in the in the dead of summer. Do you feel like your body 
is immediately up for it? Or do you ever, so mentally you're saying, yes, please. But do you ever physically feel like, nope, uh-uh, I can't, I can't. I, I, it's going to hurt too much. I'm going to get injured. Um, I'm not up for it. Has your body ever said that to you? And how does how does that mind body connection get you to the point where yep I just knocked out another hundred miler? You know, for me, uh, honestly, I think the hundred milers and something like Badwater at the distance. I think our bodies, both Josh and I, are totally up for it. I think really it's it's a mental it is a tough mental battle because it's going to feel terrifying. We're terrified right now to start it. It's going <laughs> to feel terrifying going to the start line. You're going to feel horrible if you disappoint all the people who are there to support you and have taken off a lot of time to be there to support you. Um, I mean, it's tough. I've, you know, I've quit a hundred milers before because mentally you just stop wanting to do it. And it's so strong. Like the message that your body is sending you is stop. This doesn't feel good. You're tired. Go get some sleep. So I think it's mostly a mental race. I think physically, Hopefully, you can do it. I mean, we only have to keep up about a three-mile-an-hour pace, but we have to fight the sleep deprivation and the heat. So it really is just going to be about mental toughness. I mean, hopefully, if our bodies hold up, and I, and I think they will, I think it's mostly a mental race. So, Josh, one of the things about the two of you that is unique is that you guys are doing this together. Now, generally, a, t- a runner will be by you know on their own. They won't have a sort of a teammate runner. They'll have their pacer and they'll have their crew. Because you guys are doing this together, we've got one crew for the two of you. You guys, I, I know you guys have done a lot of events together. Most of your events you guys do together. Is there a different mental paradigm for you when you know you have someone who you love and trust and know and also enjoy talking with, if nothing else, right next to you to, to help move you along uh, when you're in that the hardest parts and the toughest moments? Oh, for sure. I would say that I've... We, we have different strengths. I think I tend to be stronger at the beginning of an event. I know in the past, at least, Michelle has always proven stronger towards the end. Um, so that definitely helps. And then I would, uh, I would also say that it's just more fun. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot more fun. And also with this event, doing something like this, you're taking an inherently pretty green activity which is running and then you're incorporating a crew and a vehicle and it kind of makes it a a little less green and the idea of being able to share a crew kind of makes it a little more appealing to me Mm -hmm. i agree with you and i think that's one of the reasons that i wanted to do it again is you know we we did it once together as a crew um and it's hard it's really hard it's tiring and it's a real challenge but it's one of those human experiences that I love and, and actively seek out, not all the time, but you know, every once in a while you need this idea of getting out of your comfort zone. And this definitely is, was out of my comfort zone the first time. And it will be this next time too. It's, um, you know, people who you may not know very well and you're in a very close space and you're pushing yourselves so that other people can get where they need to go. And in this case, it's to get from the lowest place in the continental United States to the, portal for Mount Whitney. Um, and it's, it's totally bizarre, but I think that one of the things too, that people, when they hear about this race, uh, want to become so intrigued about is that idea of 
how, what does it take to get there? So if you guys were to say to yourselves, and when you're thinking about it and visualizing success, what sort of things do you tell yourselves, tell each other, hey, this is what we're going to have to do to make it? Obviously, physiologically, your heart will continue to beat, your lungs will continue to, to move air. What will it take to get you from the start line 135 miles later to the finish? So I, I think Josh would agree. It's going to be relentless forward motion. Mm-hmm. Relentless forward motion. Yeah. You cannot let any thoughts of quitting creep into your mind. You yeah. cannot let any thoughts of stopping. And it has to be relentless. Huh. Just, I think that's that has to be our our our. That's the credo. That's the that'll yeah. be our team credo. Exactly. Relentless forward motion. I like it. Exactly. Now we're, we're about what, a week and a half away. So what's obviously the, the physical preparation has been going on for years. This has got to be the key time period for the mental preparation. So what is mental preparation for something like this? Like, obviously, you know, you're, I'm studying for a big exam. I'm going to take the boards or whatever. And so I'm preparing, but I'm nervous. What are you guys doing since such a big component of this is going to be the above the shoulders mental aspect? What is the preparation for that like? Well, I would say from my experience doing ultra events that I 100% agree that just always move forward, never stop, and just keep that in mind. And and also, I would say uh, just... You have to focus on not making decisions at your lowest moments. Hmm. Because in the past, I know that just naturally, you have a little bleaker outlook in the middle of the night <laughs> when you're tired, right. when it's dark. And I know people who've done these events, and it's it's a lot easier to choose to quit at 4 in the morning when it's dark. I don't think we'll be dealing with cold. Cold can be an issue in a lot of events, too. But uh, just knowing, like, look, you don't make those decisions at those times. You wait until the sun comes up and you're mm-hmm. going to feel reinvigorated, you know, and then that'll. So there's ebbs and flows and knowing that your mood is going to go up and down. But as long as you keep moving forward and you, you put off that decision, eventually you make it to the end. So can we extrapolate that message a little bit, though, this idea of don't make the decisions at your lowest point? Because. I mean, speaking personally, I can remember nights when I was a resident and I was on hour 20, whatever of being on call and awake and it's the middle of the night and I'm thinking, what, what am I doing? This is horrible. I don't want to keep doing this. Um, and I'm going to do this again in, you know, in four more days. This, this isn't right. But then you wait, the sun comes up, everyone shows up, someone brings you some, you know, orange juice and donuts. My buddy and I always used to make sure that whoever was post call, someone brought orange juice and donuts. And then, like you say, you're like, okay, there's a fresh perspective on things. There's got to be a germ in that message of that, that people can extrapolate and take into other challenges, right? I mean, that's one of the things that – that's why people take this challenge on is because they can bring that back to regular life. Is, uh, is that am – I, am I pulling this too far or does that make sense? No, you're it's, you're dead on because I can tell you exactly what you're describing. is just like – it's like being a lawyer – you know, you have these horrible days, horrible weeks, you know, you're going through trial and, you know, you just have to survive. And you're asking yourself all the time, I don't know how much longer I can do this. Can I survive? Can I survive? But, you know, you will survive. And if you just stick it out and tough it out, 
you know, there's a better time ahead. And it's the exact same with running these long endurance, like runs, you know, it's the same thing with running a hundred. You're going to have some of your darkest, darkest points. you just want to give up. You want to quit. You want to lay down. You're exhausted. But you know, if you just continue on, it is amazing because the sun comes up and you will get a second wind or a third wind. So there's, there's a, you're, you're right on with that. Like you're, personal achievements and and it extends into your professional life you know it's just this this relentless forward motion you know it relentless forward motion it's it's just a well it's how this race is going to be and that's how it's it's also a good way to approach life you know just never give up yeah now they don't seem like the 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 race promotes a lot of sort of messaging around things like that, that it's a very personal journey. You know, they don't put out t-shirts that say things like, you know, those sort of tools that people may use for motivation. They don't do stuff like that. Do you think that it's, it's specifically designed so that this is an intensely personal experience for the runners and their teams and people draw from it what they want and that they're kind of giving you a little bit of space to do that? Cause I've always been struck by the fact that especially in the age of, you know, social media and multiple cable networks, you know, televising these extreme sporting events. This isn't a big presence in the middle of summer. I mean, this is, it's a quiet time for sports. You could imagine, you know, a, a huge television presence and talk shows and guest spots and the whole shot, and it doesn't exist. Do you think that that's intentional um, so that this can be that sort of personal journey where you're in this weird bubble of Death Valley and then you pop out the other end? I mean, I think that just talking to most people that I work with or interact with, most people just think we're freaks, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think most people are not interested. Like, why would you want to do that? That's crazy. You know, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's insane. I would also say, I don't think ultra endurance events are inherently dramatic. I mean, they're, I do they're not strung agree with up that over such a long all. period of time that you could condense it maybe and turn it into some drama, but yeah. it's, it's inherently sort of a slog. I, I don't know if I agree with you on that, Josh. I actually think it could translate really nicely into something. Now, you're right. It may need to be condensed just a little bit. But I, when we were out there a couple of years ago, I mean, I watched things happen that, you know, you can't anticipate them. But when it happens, it's unreal. I mean, seeing people that decide they need to stop, seeing people get to the top of some really hard climbs, seeing people running through 120 degrees with, you know, 15 mile an hour winds whipping dust in your eyes. <laughs> I, I think it would actually translate beautifully. So now look, that doesn't mean either one of us is right. I don't mean to, you know, <laughs> jump down the throat of my guest, but my point is I actually think that the human drama in this is incredibly compelling. It's also incredibly unique. There's nothing like this. You can show me anything you want on the Red Bull channel and it does not hold a candle to, to what the runners at the Badwater go through. That's why you're the best crew captain. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So Exactly. Just get a good editor. That's <laughs> right. So I want to give people a little bit of some of the, the nitty gritties of what this is going to be. So it's the temperature range is looking like it's going to have a high of maybe 115 or so and a low in the 70s, right? Is that sort of what you guys have seen on, on, on weather.com and such things? You know, the last time I looked, it was, I thought the high was going to be 120 and the low was at 90. And that okay. was at Creek. And I was kind of hopeful because I had looked at it a week before that. Okay. And the forecast was like 105 and then the <laughs> low was going to be 70. So okay. I was excited. 
So well, we're gonna, so we're talking about 120 degrees, um, and then a swing of anywhere from 35 to 50 degrees to the nighttime where it's going to be quite a bit cooler. Um, so it's uh, it's very dramatic, and it happens hour by hour. The concrete will get so hot that if you don't run on the painted pavement, your shoes will split. The rubber soles will separate. Um, so you have to pay attention to where you're putting your feet. What do we, what do you guys do for nutrition? What is the plan in terms of making sure you get calories? Cause the calorie expenditure is going to be just a cataclysm. So how do you, we get enough fuel into you guys to keep the engine running? My strategy has always kind of been for the first in these long events for the first probably 12 hours or so, I tend to drink my nutrition. Okay. And drink my calories and, and just really stay hydrated and take them in consistently through whatever I'm drinking. Um, also, and get a little salt as mm-hmm. well. Uh, and then after that, I kind of mix it up. I tend to want to do real food. I know there's a lot of endurance athletes who kind of eschew the whole real food uh, approach, but I've always found that there's just something to be said for eating real food. And the other thing about the temperature is that this year's format's a little different in that we're starting in the evening. So we're going to leave Badwater at 8 p.m. Our wave will be leaving at 8 p.m. And so we'll pass through some of the hottest parts of the course without the sun beating down on us. So I Mm -hmm. think that'll be an interesting aspect of the race. And that also will be, uh, we'll be dealing with sleep deprivation a little bit from the get-go, which will be the flip side of that song. Because this begs the question, you know, in terms of we've talked a little bit about the nutrition, the temperature, you guys aren't going to sleep. Um, like Michelle said, relentless forward motion. There's no time to stop and sleep. What would happen if you guys were to say, you know, we're 30 hours in, we're in the second middle of the second night, and you say, you know what, I've got to close my eyes. I'm going to sleep for two hours. What would happen to your body at that point if you closed your eyes and slept for two hours? Well, you know, that might actually happen to me. It's not my, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not on my plan, but yeah. we did do a, a hundred miler a few months ago and I actually did for the first time stop and I think I took a 30 minute nap Okay. and honestly it felt great. I mean, it feels hard when you get up and you keep going, yeah. but you know, sometimes you need it. So I guess you just have to. Whatever happens, you just have to roll with it. If yeah. you all of a sudden decide I need to sleep for 30 minutes, then I guess I'll do it. It's not on my plan right now, but I mean, plans change and sure. you have to just roll with the punches. You <laughs> yeah, know? absolutely. And then the territory, I think the easiest way to describe what the course looks like, because obviously it's so big that it, it, but it does change a lot, right? So the first stage, I always remember thinking, because it's where they actually did. Part of the Star Wars movies were filmed in Death Valley when Luke Skywalker is walking around the sand dunes of Tatooine. Part of that was filmed in Death Valley. Um, and then the the last part of it, when you're climbing up Whitney, or the to the Whitney portal, you're moving through trees and the air is thinning and it's getting much, much cooler. What is your guy's sense of... of I mean, I don't know. Does your sense of like time and space kind of twist and change a little bit when you're seeing, you know, you're moving through all these little microclimates over the course of two days of, you know, physical discomfort and sleep deprivation? Is it, does it get a little, does it get a little weird out there? Absolutely. I would say having done some events in Death Valley before, 
for me, the one thing that I find just amazing is that the vistas are so distant. So there, you're doing this ultra distance event and yet you're in an environment which almost makes it feel as if you don't get anywhere. <laughs> because when you look out in the vistas, there's no trees or anything. Yeah. So, I mean, you're looking 50 miles distant, you know, and you're moving it you know, three, four miles per hour. So it, there's not a huge sense of physical progress. Uh-huh. But like you said, there, fortunately, there are a couple little mountain ranges in between. And I think that'll hopefully break it up, you know. But yeah. for me, that's always been a psychological challenge of uh, an environment like Death Valley or any sort of desert environment. One of the other things about this race that, is particularly compelling and it kind of takes us back to what we were talking about at the beginning, how this is a very unique thing in the human experience. This race is the greatest equalizer, the greatest athletic equalizer, because when we're out there, actually, I keep saying we, I apologize. When you guys are out there, there are people of all ages. There are men and women up into their seventies, if I'm not mistaken, right? That, that actually finished the race. That's right. Yeah. There are years where level playing field, Sometimes a man is the first person to finish, and there are years where sometimes a woman is the first person to finish on a totally level playing field without handicap. Um, what? So, so clearly this is different. This is something unique where human beings are doing things that we aren't used to seeing them have to do in a physical competition. What is that? What is the difference maker? What is the thing that allows you know someone who's in their 70s to complete their 10th Badwater um Whereas if they were to do a hundred meter dash against either one of you guys, that wouldn't even be close. Where is that separation? Where is, what, what is that difference? Oh, I think it's life experience, a lot of it, but I would also say, don't apologize for saying we, because you're out there as long as we are and we can't (laughs) do it without you. And I think that goes back to a lot of the motivation. Um, if you have a team out there trying to help you do something like this, mm-hmm. and I'm sure this applies whatever your age is, you know, and also sometimes the slower you are, the more you appreciate the fact that these people are out there doing this for you. And that really can be a huge motivating factor. I mean, not so much just not wanting to let them down, but also just the fact, like I just said, I mean, it's not just Michelle and I, it's Michelle and I and you and whoever else, everyone else on our crew. You know, it's really a, a team effort and Michelle and I couldn't do this without you. And the fact that you're there is a huge motivating factor for us. And like I said before, it, it makes it fun. You know, you share these experiences with people you love and people who expand your world and it, it's awesome. And I think that's probably why you see some of these people doing it and doing so well at it, even as they get older, because it's not necessarily a hundred percent physical. Hmm. Michelle, do you feel like there's something, I mean, you've competed your whole life in, in various sports. Is there something different from this, from your perspective as a woman, where you say, you know, if I was to take the basketball court, um, or do any, any number of sporting events that there's just some physiologic differences that would make it harder, might make it harder for you to, to win or, or, or beat somebody of a different age or of a different gender. Is there something about the bad water that you can say, yeah, no, that this makes it where I can crush somebody 
um, irrespective of age or gender that I, I have. There's, there's things where you can have an advantage that you wouldn't have somewhere else. Yeah, I, I think in these longer uh, endurance running events, women are actually a little bit closer to, to men. Like you pointed out, I think like Pam Reed, I think she's won. Uh, Pam Reed is a famous ultra runner, and you know, I think she only was running it in her 40s and 50s. I think she's running it again this year. But, yeah, women can really compete with men at distances like this. And I, it's amazing. I think it's because it's a, it's a mental – it's a, a lot about mental toughness. And um, you see some of these women out there, and they're, you know, they're not even in their 30s. They might be in their 40s, 50s, 60s. I'm always impressed by them. Because they may not be the fastest, and they may be almost like power walking some of it. But you know what? At mile 70, they're going to pass you, and they're probably <laughs> still going to have a good attitude and a smile on their face. So, yeah, I think um, in these longer events, like in a marathon distance, like 26 miles, women can't compete with men. Men are just still much faster. But um, when you get up to these distances, like 100 miles, men typically are still going to be faster. Um, but... It, women are going to be uh, a lot closer, a lot able to compete. Um, I really think because physically also we do better at longer distances and also because of the uh, huge mental component of the whole, of the whole race. No, that makes a lot of sense. And it, it is interesting to see it. I mean, there's nothing else quite like that where, like you say, you know, you, you're, you, you see these one team that's cruising along and, and you're, they're going fast and they're moving and, when you see the the runner that they're supporting is is a woman and she's just crushing and you're like you say you're at mile 95 and you're leaving everyone in the dust you're like uh, we're we're doing something that is very very cool we're on a frontier that is is yet it's it's one of the last frontiers and maybe as the distances expand because uh, I'm sure they will it's going to go from 135 to longer and longer maybe maybe we're going to cross into a threshold where you know it's something that women are the elite. Maybe that's, we're just not there yet. I mean, why not? We're all, we're obviously doing something that's totally bizarre. Um, and outside of what human beings are used to doing, maybe that's, there's going to be a tipping point and we're going to see that there's a different physiologic threshold that women have the advantage. And I don't know, but there's certainly something about this race that brings out really fun, interesting, and pretty compelling human achievements. Yeah, no, I agree. And I always wonder, what is that distance? Maybe it doesn't exist, but I'm always thinking maybe the farther we go, maybe there will be, you know, maybe that is the distance that women are going to be great at. Because, like, distance uh, swimming, I think women are the best at distance swimming, and I think partially because their fat makeup is more advantageous to floating. I mean, who knows when, like, that would work for, for um, you know, ultra-distance running. Yeah. But it's, yeah. it's cool to think about that. I mean, it's it's really amazing. No, there's no question. One of the other really compelling things about the Badwater, too, is this is not just being done for you guys. This is part of a larger purpose. You guys have taken on the opportunity of using this as a way to try to raise some money. So tell me a little bit about who you're running for and, and where that is coming from. Sure. So uh, oftentimes these running events or these uh, athletic events you know, they're great because not only do they make you feel good and you work out and you have a sense of community and camaraderie, but, you know, they raise a lot of money for charity. So it's a, it's a really fantastic way to raise money for charity or to bring, um, you know, bring some uh, understanding about different issues or causes 
And so in this race, after we had already signed up, you know, my mom passed away. And so I, because you were describing how it was such an intensely personal experience, um, you know, I really wanted to use this event to do something good, to make it, you know, bigger than just us going out for a 135-mile run. So I decided to use CrowdRise and do a fundraising campaign um, and I chose the Arthritis Foundation because my sister has had rheumatoid arthritis since she was 13 years old. And so that was always one of the big issues in my mom's life is, is taking care of my my sister who had rheumatoid arthritis. So sort of in honor of my mom and, and, and uh, or in memory of my mom and in honor of my sister who has arthritis, we decided to raise money for the Arthritis Foundation. And it was amazing the response that we got. I think in about two weeks, we had already raised over $5,000. So I'm really proud of that. And I'm, I'm excited that this run isn't just about us, you know, having a really tremendous workout with some friends in the desert. But, you know, we're, <laughs> but we're raising money for a great cause. And, and uh, you know, we're going to put our charity on our shirts. We have team shirts. We have our charity on our shirts and a little... Um, sort of I uh, designed a little memorial to my mom on the shirts and so that's going to hopefully motivate me to continue on in like the darkest times of the race which I'm sure that you know there's going to be a couple of them or a few of them so anyway it just it is an intensely personal experience and you know you can really make it whatever you want and you know you can make it as important as you want it to be so um, I'm hoping that'll help me you know to continued on in the race just understanding that you know this is in memory of my mom and we're raising raising money for charity so no that's incredibly uh, special and i'm glad that that you were able to do that and it's going to be a lot of fun to have that on all of our shirts and be able to talk about it and think about it while we're out there so w- within the next whatever 10 days or so before the race what is the run-up sort of look oh sorry that's the worst word to use what is the <laughs> what is the preparation sort of look like for you guys in terms of resting nutrition training are you keeping it simple at this point and just kind of letting it do what it do as they say or well, is there more work to be done you know we've been maintaining our our fitness i think one part of the race that we haven't talked about which is a huge part which i have a new respect for everybody who's done this before it is an expensive and difficult thing to put together. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, everything that we need for this race, you have to have ready to go. When you you have to rent your van, you have to have everything in there uh, organized and ready to go. Everything that's needed by the crew, everything that's needed by the runner, and it involves a lot of you know coordinating, ordering, planning, like months ahead of time. Yep. So part of what we're preparing for and resting and training, uh, all of that, our time has been taken up with just ordering things and getting things ready like hotel rooms and vans and supplies. And so in the next week, uh, as soon as I, a week and a half, as soon as I get all of our supplies and everything, you know, organized in the van, I I guess what we're going to be doing mostly is just, you know, maintaining just a basic level of, you know, running about, I don't know, 10 miles maybe a couple days. I'm not going to be doing any long runs. I don't Josh always does like longer distances, but I'm certainly going to be resting more, I think, in the next week and a half and not doing the distances 
or intensity of workouts that mm-hmm. we've been doing over the past few months. When you talk about the lower intensity workouts and what you guys are be doing, I'm, I'm smiling because, you know, of course, for me, that's a pretty high intensity workout. And that's the difference. That's why you guys are running the bad water. This is going to be amazing. It's going to be a great adventure. Um, I'm really excited to be heading out there with you guys. You both are definitely among the elite. You are both incredibly self-effacing people. And I know you won't accept that compliment, but I won't retract it. Um, <laughs> this is going to be a great adventure and we're going to have a lot of fun. Um, we will see you guys, uh, at the Badwater. Thank you both so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com. 